I'm Kevin McDonald, and you're listening to the great, big, beautiful podcast. This is the big, great, beautiful. You're listening to a beautiful podcast. You know what? You're listening to a beautiful podcast that happens to be a great, big, beautiful podcast. I'm Kevin McDonald still. Thank you very much. Keep listening. Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone. Not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show, my my, my stand-up's always been political. If you look at my jokes from 25 years ago, because yeah. I go back a ways, I'm still talking about the same thing. Or I wish I could say my politics have developed over the years, but if they have, it, it's just, now I'm less tolerant of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm way more feminist because of my wife and, and like being a little more awake. But I'm also, I, this whole, we have to feel sorry for the white uh, working class Trump voter that didn't know that they were getting into, yeah. um, no. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. All right, this is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast, and Twitter at the GBP Podcast. And I'm Justin. I'm only going to introduce myself because I'm awesome. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right, I'm, I'm joined today with Jamie, the always the Hi. sensational Jamie Green. Sensational! Yay! And I don't, have a, I don't have a descriptor yet for Samantha. I need to get one. Oh my the, god, that's harsh, dude. The No, I need to get one. I need to get one. It would make more sense to call her the sensational, because it starts with an S. Okay. Alright, do it. <laughs> she can also she can be sensational. She can have my borrowed, the borrowed epithet. That's fine. <laughs> I'll, come up with, I'll come up with a good one for me, when I'm not on the spot. My vow to the listeners is next time Samantha is on the show, I will have a, I will have a word for her. And we will, it'll be good. That's my vow. <laughs> I'll have a word with her. <laughs> I, I, I feel like with le- the lead-in to, to to who we who we talk to on this episode, that 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 might be a four-letter word. I'm not sure. Probably, probably. <laughs> oh yeah, and fair warning. Um, this is probably our first. Um, I guess not safe for work episode. This is the first one that should probably come with a, an explicit tag. This, right. this episode. So we've had we've um, had like it's because small we, like f bombs once in a while. Like a like a I think I think Jonathan Frakes yeah, dropped one, one word here or there that were dropped. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but this one crosses that line. I think. <laughs> okay, so you've been warned. We don't want to see the tweets. Don't listen to this with your kids in the car unless you don't care what your kids hear. If you're one of those people that took your kids to Deadpool, you probably don't care. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you guys, who'd you talk to this week? Maybe we we set it up. You guys bring it in. We talked to Greg Proops, um, and if the name is kind of familiar, you you probably know him from whose line it is it whose line is it anyway? Um, the American version of Whose Line Is It Anyway, when uh, it's just uh, the ad lib, um, not sketch comedy. What would you call it? I'm blanking on what you would call it. Um, I, they, call it the, they call it a, a game show where, where, yeah, nobody, wins, like what kind where of, nobody wins. But what kind but of yeah, comedy? It, it's like improv, kind of. There you at, go. I'll see, I was just blanking on the word. 
Yeah, they're they're fed prompts of some form, and they change the format on them constantly. It's hilarious to see how adaptive these folks yeah. have been over the years to just, all right, here's your scenario, here's what you can do, what you can't do, and here's your prompt. And then they're hilarious. Yeah. I don't know how they do yeah. it. I don't um, know how they do it either. It's it's yeah. it's, it's it's crazy good, mm-hmm. um, and uh, regularly one of the funniest shows on TV. Um, and but Greg Proops was one of the uh, standby cast members like it kind of rotated um but he was one of the core cast members um and uh he is not only known for that i mean he is a stand-up comedian um on his own in his own right he um has his own podcast which he calls the proops cast um and what was that giggle <laughs> I like the name of it, the Proops Cast. <laughs> uh, the Proops the Proops Cast is basically uh, it's a lot of his stand up shows that he records and then and then puts out as a podcast. Um, it's it's very political. It, if you follow him on on Twitter or in social media, you know he does not pull any punches. He is very straight up with what he thinks, and um, he doesn't suffer any fools or any crap. And he uh, he will call you on your um, shit if 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 you start slinging it his way. Um, <laughs> and his podcast is very much like that. He doesn't pull any punches. He's very straightforward with his beliefs and his politics and and what he thinks. Um, and we get into a little bit of that in this in this episode. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about, though, Sam, and I'm kind of upset because we, we were running long with him. Like we we ended up taking a lot of time. Um, we didn't even get to talk to him about Star Wars. I know. And he's been what involved in two of the different things, right? Yeah, Wasn't he, two? Yeah. He was the, uh, the in the Phantom Menace, which many of us would like to forget. But in the Phantom Menace, he was that double-headed, or he was one of the heads, at least, of the double-headed um, pod race announcers. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also a voice in the Clone Wars. But, I mean, his voice is, is one of those very distinctive voices. Um, and if you if you go back and you watch the pod race scene, you'll be like, oh, yeah, totally, I know who that is. It's, it's, it's very distinctive. <laughs> but we didn't get a chance to talk to him about that. You know what else we didn't get to talk about? Um, Speaking of his voice acting, because I think this knowing him and listening to this interview and listening to the Proops cast and how um, not foul mouthed he can be, but how adult his comedy is. Yes. Um, he was the voice of Bob the Builder, the American version of Bob the Builder. He's Bob. Are you serious? <laughs> and, and it's <laughs> that's not... what you should have centered the whole podcast around. <laughs> I know we should have just started with that and gone. Right. I don't know. I kind of liked the way the podcast went. Um, I, you know, I, I've been on a few with you guys, um, and they've all been very different. That's one of the things yeah. that I noticed. Um, you know, I was kind of overwhelmed when we did the ones with the guys from uh, Tonko House, and yeah. because I, I, honestly, they just they created such art, right? That I have no mm. knowledge of. Like, I have no idea what goes into creating the stuff they create, but I loved looking at it like I was kind of overwhelmed um with that one but and then obviously I fangirled all over Terry Brooks um and but he's still he's still washing that off (laughs) yeah I'm still I still get a little (laughs) hot and bothered when we talk about that um you know and then with with um the makerspace uh guy Dale I'm gonna butcher his last name which is why I'm not saying it um I was a little more normal (laughs) for that one if that makes yeah. sense but then when we interviewed greg 
I have a loud laugh. You guys have probably picked up on it, and I even rein it in. <laughs> I was having such a hard time just keeping my crap together. He was so yeah. funny, um, and, and I just loved the way he would just go down one of those rabbit holes when we'd ask one question, and all of a sudden, it's 10 minutes later, and, and I'm not the least bit bored with what he's still talking about. That was, that yeah, was very cool. He's a talker. You just got to really give him a topic and he'll just go. And you could just like as a host, it was really easy because we could just sit back and just like, OK, just let him go. You know, what I mean, but it uh, it was good. Like there sometimes that happens and you have to like, OK, I got to rein him in. I got to move on to the next topic. We're just kind of rambling. But um, that's what his podcast is like. If you've ever listened to it, it's a lot of him just picking a subject and then just going and just and just. It might seem rambly, um, but he's just sort of brain dumping all over the place and it, it all connects somehow. Um, but that's how it was here. And that's why we ended up going long and we didn't get to a lot of our questions, um, including Star Wars and Bob the Builder, uh, because uh, he just it, it, I didn't want to stop him. It was hilarious and it was insightful and it was uh timely and i think that a lot of what he said whether you agree with it or not whether you agree with his politics or not um it's it's these are things that a lot of us are grappling with right now and it's it's subjects that people in one way or another are all discussing in their own way he just happens to do it from a comedian's perspective and from somebody who is not afraid to just shout his beliefs and 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 not be shy about it you hit on actually my favorite thing right there about that whole conversation with him. And, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. I'm not going to get the phrasing quite right. But he at one point he was talking about he was going through some of the odd people that have come to some of his shows. You remember he told the story about having to kick the one woman out and uh, yeah. that she was shouting from the street and that sort of thing. Um, but he made a comment to the effect of if you come to my show, you're going to hear what I have to say. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, you know, when you first hear that, you're like, ah, you know, that's very pompous. But then it's like, why would you go to a comedian's show if you don't want to hear what he has to say? <laughs> Let him speak. Yeah. You can disagree with what he's saying. You cannot agree with everything. But you paid money to come listen to the man speak. Listen mm -hmm. to what he's saying. Absorb yeah. it. Don't dismiss it. Don't get angry until you've absorbed what he's saying. And that was my favorite part of that conversation. Well, that and him answering what type of candy he is, because that was hilarious, too. He went way down that rabbit hole. I loved it. <laughs> I figured he would be like, you know, I'm a smarty or something, you know, something simple. And no, it was. Yeah, that yeah. was good. You had a good answer for that. Good answer. <laughs> All right. So we're going to we're going to go play it for you right now. Stay tuned for which candy he is. <laughs> is that what you said? Which candy he is? Yes. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> right. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's a pleasure to have you here. I wanted to start off uh, asking with everything that you've done over the years. You know, you've done stand up, improv, television, voiceover. What made you say, you know what, I'm going to do a podcast? Um, not Belknap and uh, Ryan McMenamin asked me to. They uh, uh, did a, do Jimmy Pardo's uh, uh, Never Not Funny and Doug yeah. Benson's Doug Loves Movies. And it was, you know, in the, uh, 2010, and I wasn't doing a podcast. I was just doing stand-up and whatnot. And um, it was sort of the early days, as they say. And uh, I said, well, what do I do? Do we have guests? Do we do that? And then I was like... So they kind of convinced me to do it. And then after I did the first one, um, my wife Jennifer said, no, this is what you need to do. So we improvised the first one, and I had no idea really what I was going to say or do. And that's kind of what the impetus came from. 
And then everything after that's happened organically. I mean, you know, we managed to take it around the world a bunch of times and uh, have a lot of fun with it. And uh, uh, it, it, it really came out of just taking a chance on it and then it, it turning out that I really enjoyed doing it more than anything else. Yeah. I've, I've heard... And the connection with the people, I think. The connection with, uh, you know... Yeah. crowd is, is is way more intimate than a stand-up show yeah well i mean it's i wanted to talk to about that because i've heard a lot of people talk especially comedians they talk about how you can almost get addicted to the audience and you know if, mm-hmm. if you're trying to do a set into a microphone or into a camera it's totally different than if you're in front of a live audience and i mean how how does that dynamic affect your performance is it true that you really can sort of just get addicted to having that audience there well, I love doing it in front of the audience. I do them uh, podcasts uh, at home sometimes, or on the road, or you know, in a, into a Zoom. Mm-hmm. But I prefer the audience because I think it uh, keeps me more honest. You know, yeah. if you're not keeping their interest, they certainly know. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it makes me funnier. It makes me work harder to have an audience there. Yeah. As far as being addicted to them, I just really love. Um, I just really love uh, performing in front of the uh, of people, and uh, because the podcast seems to make people really listen, I um, you know, they they everything we talk about on the show, the vodka, the poetry, the feminism, uh, politics, uh, history, people give me gifts and books and poetry and and political pens and uh, you know revolutionary hats and the whole enchilada. <laughs> so it, it really people. You really feel like people are listening to you and taking part. I think we all kind of feel like we're taking part in something yeah. greater than us. Yeah. Do, that do you, is, doesn't sound too bloody pretentious. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I know what it's, it's like. I mean, do you find that the people who listen to the podcast and interact with you either on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, do you find that um, they, they listen harder to what you say than maybe like a stand-up audience might? They do. Um, I think it's because we're t- I'm talking from the heart. Not that I don't in my stand-up. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, I try to be as honest as I can. I always have as a stand-up. The thing about stand-up is you're in a nightclub, and um, there's people there who don't know why they're there. Um, <laughs> they've come because they want to be drunk. They've come because uh, their friend took them there. They come because they just wanted to see comedy, which is a generic term. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I don't subscribe to that uh, any more than you would go just see to see music right. or art. Right. Uh, there's a lot of specificity within the giant realms of these crafts, and uh, um, I know I don't uh, I don't put myself in the same ballpark as other comedy acts, for instance. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't say that oh, seeing me or seeing the Capitol steps is the same thing. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Uh, but we all get, we all get lumped together because it's right. comedy, right. and that's I think the unfair part. Um, so in any in any case, uh, 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 yeah, they're they're there for more of a reason, and they know why they're there. Yeah, and uh, that's the part that I digs. And um, a stand-up crowd, you know, also feels free to disagree with you um, and inflict their shit opinion on you. Yeah. Um, Stand-up crowds would be like, oh, I didn't like that joke, or they'll go, ooh, or oh. And I just have no truck with that. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not up there to uh, – I mean, up there, obviously, I'm up there to amuse people and be funny as I can be. But um, if you really did have a well-thought-out opinion, you wouldn't be wearing the clothes you're wearing, and you wouldn't be drinking what you're drinking. So I would l- let me guide you <laughs> where are you. 
is my take on this. Uh, whereas at the vodcast, I think people are much more willing to listen. And no, I mean, we've had maybe one heckler in like five years, you know, <laughs> one or two people, or, or one drunk guy yelled out a lot. Yeah. Once in San Francisco, I remember someone was chatting during the show, and I said, you're acting Oh, Hawaii, but that was the, I'll get to that one. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Jennifer. The, uh, we're in San Francisco, and these, this couple was talking, and they were clearly bored because they thought it was going to be jokes about um, genitalia <laughs> or whatever they thought it was going to be. Right, about. sure. And instead, it was diatribe. And I turned to them, and I said, you're acting really suburban right now. You need to really calm down. Um, your your lack of sophistication is wearing the audience down because you're chatting during this part where everyone else is uh, intensely interested. Jennifer Pooch pointed out to me the greatest tackle and probably one of the most famous things that's ever happened on the show as far as our fans go is uh, in, we did a show from the Maui Comedy Festival a couple of years ago, which was hilariously named the first annual, if you follow me, <laughs> and Jamie. And as I pointed out on stage, it cannot be the first annual. It can only be the inaugural. Yeah, right. If, it's, if it happens subsequently in a second consecutive year, then it is the second annual. They've got big so plans for it, though. One, no. The second <laughs> annual one was canceled. Then they were going to do it, the third one, and they were going to call it the third annual one. No. So it's not the third <laughs> annual one. It's the second one, and it's biannual, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and then they ended up having it in Vegas. So in Vegas. Nice. <laughs> right. I, uh, where I go, they won't let you drink on stage in Hawaii, which is fantastic considering everyone in the crowd is messed up and just high as the dickens. Uh -huh. So I bring my drink up in a coffee cup. And uh, I, I, I talked to the crowd before. That's, this is the big difference, you guys. I, I, in a stand-up show, I would never go talk to the crowd before because it ruins the magic. Right. You're doing a magic trick when you're doing stand-up. And the, and the magic trick is they don't know you. So they don't know where the, uh, you know, all, all the arsenal that a comic has is surprise and incongruity, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. they don't, they're not aware of it. Uh, then you get up there and you, oh, my God, I never thought he'd say that. That's crazy. Whereas with the vodcast, they know me real well. Mm -hmm. So I talk to everybody in the crowd before the show. And that's when we exchange gifts. And, and I, I know a lot of people personally all over the country and all over the world um, because of, you know, the show. Yeah. So I was talking to people in the crowd. And I went up to the bar, and it was Hawaii, and this woman went, you better be fucking funny, man, I can't fucking see, you better be funny. Right, and she's just hammered. And, uh, I mean, I'm not judging, I usually am too. Right, of, like, of course. Don't worry about it, darling, I'll, I'll do what I can, and you try to hang in there. And uh, I get up on the show, and I'm about halfway through, and um, I, I can't see anything, well, I can't see anyway, but I couldn't see anything in the uh -huh. showroom. And by the way, from, from this room in Hawaii, I was on the second floor, um, you could see the Isle of Lanai in, in the middle distance. I mean, nice. it was the most stunning, yeah. you know, affair. Uh, open windows, open windows to the outside, oh. just stunning. Um, I hear, I don't know about fracas, and then I see a woman being carried with four bouncers, one who's got each limb across the top of the crowd. And I said, what's going on? And I hear, fuck you, I was born in a cane field. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a Hawaiian's way of saying I'm from Hawaii. Yeah, right? uh, she was uh, she was a Holly, but evidently she's been born in Hawaii. So they chucked her out on the street. So mind you, I said there's open windows. There was an open window behind the stage, so you could hear her behind me. So I stuck my head out the window and I yelled, "Fuck you!" I was born in a cocaine field, and I said, "By the way, by the way, Hawaii, you just threw her out into paradise." Yeah. The beach is 20 yards from this club. There's 50 bars here in Lahaina. You, 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 this isn't punishment. You've thrown her out into her natural element. Yeah. 
I go, this isn't Dayton, Ohio in the winter. You've thrown someone out. It's 75 degrees outside. There's a trade wind, you know, blowing by with hibiscus. It's like to be, get, getting booted into paradise. Right. And I said, this is, you know what you should do? Make her stay. You know? in, <laughs> like, so the, the show ends and we go downstairs and there was a car parker. Uh, and I, I says to this guy, uh, uh, the drunk lady that got thrown out. And he goes, oh, her? She's here every goddamn night. <laughs> That, is that just her, her? That's how it goes. That's her thing. She just what? she just heckles until she gets booted out every night. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys, when someone before the show goes, "Hey, I came to see your show. You better be funny." <laughs> that they have no sense of humor and that they're probably mentally impaired somehow and that they're <laughs> usually drunk. And anyone who demands that you be funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. I pay good money that. to hear you tell jokes and make me laugh. Yeah, that one, and um, uh, uh, I don't think comics should talk about politics. Oh. They should just do stuff to make people laugh. Not look, just the I comics. Don't the I don't think fill-in-the-blank should talk about politics, because if you mm-hmm. do anything, like tell jokes, write, sto- write, write books, make music, that automatically invalidates you from having an opinion or living in this world. Mm-hmm. Well, what's McCullough? Who's that country singer? He's bloody, you know, Travis Tritt, I think it was. Wrote something on his timeline a couple months ago. Like, oh, you know, you entertainers should stick to entertain. And I was like, um, I live in the world. Yeah. I don't, I don't live in a white people, NRA, gun bull, BTK, killer, children of the corn, village of the damned, fucking white supremacist land. So I'm going to, I believe you'll find Nina Simone said an artist must reflect their time. Absolutely, and it looks it looks Lenny Bruce, Lily Tomlin, uh, 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 Samantha Bee. It looks everything in the face that comedy is, which is comedy is supposed to be reactive and topical and satirical. So to look hundreds of years of that in the face and go, why don't you just tell jokes and make me laugh? Like I don't understand how you can live in a world where there's no context. Yeah, but yeah. some people believe that they really do. And like you said, so what about if you're a musician, an actor, a singer, a director, a you know, yeah. Are we supposed to tell Ava DuVernay that she should make like minstrel show movies? Yeah, so that, exactly. So make white people feel comfortable? Yeah. Is that what people want? And the answer is yes. Um, I don't mean we should do it. I mean that that's what white people really want from the world. White people want to be abrogated and obviated from every ounce of responsibility they bear to atone for the hideousness that we've waged upon humanity. And I, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> I realize that isn't the most humorous stance, but um, it's, <laughs> well, it's what I believe. No, and it's, you know, we, we, we wanted to ask you about that because the podcast has got, it, it, it's quite political, you know, and it's, it's, that's sort of where you derive, at least recently since the election, that's oh, yeah. where you derive oh, a lot of your material from. Um, and I'll be honest, I haven't gone back and listened to the very early episodes, but if I were to do that, would I find that you were talking about politics then? Or is that how what you said about that it organically developed into what it is now? Did, did it sort of just like the politics just creep in and slow, no, slowly over time? Political. Yeah. My, my, my stand-up's always been political. If you look at my jokes from 25 years ago, because yeah. I go back a ways, I'm still talking about the same things. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about white redneck America dominating, talking about men treating women like shit, um... It's never, it's been a through line with me forever and ever. I wish I could say my politics have developed over the years, but if they have, it, it's to, now I'm less tolerant of, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm way more feminist because of my wife and, and like being a little more awake. But I'm also, uh, I, this whole, we have to feel sorry for the white 
a working class Trump voter that didn't know that they were getting into. Yeah. Um, no. No. I'm yeah. from uh, a lower middle class working class family. I, I am from a criminal class family. And um, I don't want to be lectured about it, but everybody's like, well, you were shooting these big words, therefore you're a Ponzi liberal East, you know, West Coast elite. And you don't know what real people like. My whole family lived in trailers. I don't need to fucking hear it from anyone. One. And two, um, everybody knew exactly what they were signing up for with Trump. Yeah. He never. He, he did, didn't he exactly never, make it a, a secret. Mm. And racism, guns, and misogyny, yeah. and Islamophobia and homophobia. That's what you signed up for. You knew you wanted it, and that's what you got. And the fact that there's chaos in this rule, and that he hasn't you know, done anything that he said he was going to do other than be a horrible tyrant, um, that's what you get, baby. Um, I, I don't want to read any more fulminating articles about how we ignored white people at our peril. What we ignored is women and, and people of color, and we have for 300, 400 years in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't included in the Constitution, weren't included in the Declaration of Independence, weren't included at any point, really. They've had to fight for every single scrap they could fucking get, and white people still don't get that. Yeah. White people really, really, really think they're fucking privileged and special. They don't know that they created their own whiteness as an artificial construct. That whiteness has nothing to do with anything that actually exists in the world, but it's this made-up thing uh, to give yourself privilege. And uh, that, that's the part where I just, I'm, you know, whatever. I see a re- I mean, I can go to different parts of the country. I, I go all over, and I play for all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And I agree that there's different political opinions. Say, for instance, you think that there should be a single-payer health care plan, and I believe that there oughtn't. That's a difference of political opinion. Say that you hate homosexuals. That's not a difference of opinion. That's mm-hmm. you being a homophobic dickwad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm tired, of, I'm tired of patriotism being passed off as racism and xenophobia and misogyny. That's not patriotic. Yeah, it's uh, just a hatred. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you're just being a bigot, so I, I don't really care. It's, your opinion ends right there for me. When As soon as you say, well, I don't think gay people, that's it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Or women shouldn't have the right. Um, first, frankly, if you're against abortion, I don't care that you think murdering a fetus is uh, some big crime. It's demonizing women. So what you're doing is putting your hatred of women and your love of fetuses ahead of everything else. That's how I perceive it. And of course, I'm right. So there you are. <laughs> well, you are the smartest man, clearly. Uh, exactly. Thank you. Well, Sam. leading into that, you're welcome. Um, how did the podcast become the book, and and do you think that transferred well? I think it could have been better. I could have written a better book, but I think it came off pretty well, and it covered. Uh, uh, well, one can always improve. I think it came off uh, as close as we could to, especially how the podcast was uh, at the time I wrote the book. It's been a couple years on now. and um, yeah. But I was, I was prescient about a couple of things because I included uh, kleptocracy, plutocracy, oligarchy, and a lot of Orwell <laughs> in it. Uh, just <laughs> always counting on that that's how the government always works and then not, rea- you know, not realizing that we were going to uh, be in the midst of the most uh, definitive kleptocracy uh, that the United States has ever put in, and uh, one that's just basically an open gangster kleptocracy. So I, I think it, it, I went in to pitch it, and um, I knew what I wanted to talk about uh, when I went in to uh, Touchdown. And I had written a bunch of uh, you know uh, pages to say uh, it's going to be about feminism, it's going to be about history, it's going to be about that. 
and uh, they liked it. I think they they got that it was very close to the podcast. It was sort of the same things we were talking about in the podcast. And uh, the thing that's different now is, um, in those days, I took questions from the audience, and the, uh, the whole baseball team thing came out of them. That was never something I uh, invented. Someone said to me, I think it was New York, who's your all-time Roman emperor baseball team? <laughs> so I improvised it. And then we were in London, and someone said, who's your all-time kings and queens of England baseball team? And then the baseball team started running wild. And we ended up doing <laughs> Canadians, uh, feminists, uh, women in history, uh, you know, a zillion different ones. And that's the thing in the book that um, I think works is, um, oh, I think we have an all-time dictator team in the book. Um, <laughs> and uh, because it allows you to deal with things like dictators are a terrible subject. Uh, you know, they're not funny. And uh, who wants to make, you know, Stalin jokes? Uh, but to put them in a baseball team, then it gives you an angle. And uh, I wanted to write about movie bombshells, uh, you know, Brigitte Bardot and whatnot, and uh, Hedy Lamarr. And uh, uh, my editor, Matthew, said, I want you to define a bombshell. And I was having a lot of trouble. And he went, make it a baseball team. <laughs> and then it, I was able to write it in a day because it gave me the And I'm a baseball fan. And so, it, you know, each position in a baseball team is, a, you know, an angle. Uh, so there was that. Um, but I think it, it came out the way I wanted it to for the most part. Uh, uh, in the beginning especially, uh, I talk about women's rights, and, uh, and then we, we put in a chapter on five famous feminists you don't know. And so the next book, I think I'll have more of that and a little less baseball. <laughs> oh, and poetry. And so there's loads of poetry in the book, which some people really liked. Uh, and some people, you know, are scared of because people get scared of poetry because it's like learning and learning is a bitter pill. It's like being told what to do by a woman. And so uh, they they wouldn't allow me to use the poetry, all of the poetry I wanted because of expenses. You know, I wanted to put Lorca in the book mm-hmm. and some, you know, 20th century type poets. Mm-hmm. And I, I was forced to use everything that was in public domain, which is why uh-huh. it, there's Casey at the Bat and the Raven and all that in there. But it, mm-hmm. also I didn't mind doing it because a couple of years ago I was in Chicago and I was reading Carl Sandburg's poem Chicago to the crowd. And I said to the crowd, crowd, I said, <laughs> You, uh, uh, you, you've certainly heard this a million times. And everyone in the audience went, no, we never heard it. And I thought, oh, right, no one teaches poetry 101 anymore. Yeah. Like I had a glancing acquaintance with poetry as a kid because our teachers still taught us uh, Robert yeah. Louis Stevenson's Charles Gardner verse. And uh, I certainly knew who Carl Sandburg was. As well. I could have quoted you Ogden Nash and, yeah. you know, Robert, uh, uh, Dr. Seuss and Lewis Carroll and that type of thing, especially nonsense poetry, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, poetry. But they don't teach it anymore. No, it's like it's like uh, cursive writing. You know, kids don't even know what it is. Either one, right, po- right. poetry and cursive writing. writing. Yeah, cursive writing or, or, or telling time on a, a, a yeah a, a analog, analog clock. Watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, it's okay because Jennifer said to me, you know, a couple years into this, I was like, am I covering a lot of ground that people already know? And she went, No, you're teaching a one-on-one course. Yeah. Which so is what I, so many I have people to start need. Start at ground zero with them. And I don't mind doing it because it, it, it's important for people to know. Uh, uh, when you talk about film and um, people who are in their 20s might not know who uh, Francis Ford Coppola is, or they right. might think Al Pacino is just some old guy that's walking around. And it's like, no, they were, you know, they're important and this is why. So I feel like that's our job is to do that, kind of bring people up to speed on stuff. And, uh, yeah. And of course, language. Uh, uh, and using 
I, I'm not a big grammar person. I don't care at all. There's an ongoing controversy about the Oxford comma, which I take out the Oxford comma in the book because I hate it. Uh, and then the other day there was some giant Oxford comma controversy on the yes, web. Yes, there was. <laughs> people, people were coming to me about it, and I'm like, you know what? The Oxford comma can fuck straight off. And oh, we're not, we're not we're not going to have this conversation. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting us riled up now. <laughs> All right, let me explain it to you, Jamie. The Oxford comma can comma fuck comma straight no. comma fuck off. That's incorrect usage. <laughs> and leave comma. <laughs> A lot, comma. Uh, it came up during a podcast, and someone brought it up to me, and then um, and someone quoted Vampire Weekend to me, which was the hilarious part. Of it. I, and I don't give a fuck about an Oxford comma. Uh, I prefer the the term serial comma because it makes it sound like it lives, you know, alone in a cave. Yeah, it makes it sound more dangerous, busy. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The serial comma is much more exciting yeah. to me. Yeah. Oxford comma is stuffy. It is stuffy. It's oh, a, yeah. Oh, I don't. I I, right. I called it the serial comma for years before I even knew that it was. Uh, technically an Oxford comma. So yeah, I I'm in the uh, serial comma camp and uh yeah, I will defend I it with I will defend it with I'm my very life. Excited. <laughs> I don't blame you. We all have our position on that and there this, you go. these are the important issues yeah. of society. It, it is. Uh, it really it's it's what keeps yeah, us going. Yeah. They are really. <laughs> um uh, so I, I hope that answers your question. It was a very long-winded question, but uh, uh No, it did. I did get to very cover all the things did. I wanted to cover. They didn't constrain me very much uh my wife jennifer did all the artwork in it which i thought came out really well and um it, it it's uh you know i'm happy with it i think it's funny um i don't think it's a book you read from cover to cover i think it's a book you pick up and look at this and that and then put it down and look at this and that you know it's not a novel and i didn't want to write about myself i have lots of comedian friends obviously and uh, many of them write books about themselves and uh i understand that it's all anecdotal, and you know, me and my dog did this, and uh, I did that. I just couldn't. Uh, and my editor, the first thing he said to me was, "Get out of the first person." Yeah. Get out of the first person. So there's one page in the book that's in the first person, when I talk about being a kid and going to baseball games, and everything else is, you know. Did that free you up switching to the third? Uh, it did. It yeah. completely did. It allowed me to be a writer. Um, in the podcast, obviously, I never stopped talking about myself, or in real life, I never <laughs> ever stopped talking about myself. But that's always in the first person, so I felt like, who was it that we were just, or was I reading Tom Robbins, or did we see someone, I can't remember, Jennifer, that said, you have to remember that readers are also, um, they're not just reading the written word, they're, they're hearing it while they're reading it. Right. You know, they're hearing it in their mind. So you have to make sure that you're still funny and still putting sentences together that are well-constructed and, you know, right. that kind of thing. So once it, once I got out of the... It was Jeanette Winterson who said that. That's right. Jeanette Winterson, we went to see her in Paris last year, and she had this Christmas book. And she said she always kept in mind that when she was writing that people are reading it aloud in their mind. Mm. And that you, you can't ignore that. You know, you know, you read some writers and they're all over the yard, or sure. you know, then there's a, a, a um, oh, kittens. I've just blanked on his name, uh, Infinite Jest, and oh, um, yes, Gosh. David Foster Wallace, there, yeah. where everything everything's in the annotations. You yeah, know? yeah. There's two books happening simultaneously, but he was dead clever, wasn't he? And he was able to write mm-hmm. that way, 
um, I prefer to go with the Patton Oswalt school of I I know what I can do and yeah. I just try to be sticking to what did Leonard Cohen say I'm the custodian of my small area yeah. <laughs> so, and it's important I, I it's important in, to, to, to be aware of that to know that I think it is yeah I mean I know I'm not going to write a Thomas Pynchon novel I know I'm not going to write uh, you know some big abstruse giant thing but I can talk about baseball and funk records amusingly yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to, you said something which I'd never really kind of thought in those terms before, you know, people, they go to a comedy club to see comedy, you know, and nobody goes to, to hear music, you know, nobody just reads Mm -hmm. words, you know, you read an author, you, you go to hear the band or the singer that you like, but for, for so many people, it's like, oh, let's go to the comedy club and, and laugh, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's so much more vague in general. But you've been in, you've been, you know, in comedy, quote unquote, for a long time. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's obviously very much part of who you are. And so this might seem like a, a really kind of too general question, but from your perspective as somebody who's been doing this for so long and, and who defines himself probably as by that role, why, why do we need comedy and particularly now? Like, why is it so important? What, that's a very good question. It's not too general at all. Um, we always need it um, because it's a safety valve. And uh, men, uh, and recently women, uh, have always been allowed the luxury of destroying a situation with humor. Uh, in other words, uh, something that's tragic that's going on. You've heard the term gallows humor or mm-hmm. operating room humor. You mm-hmm. know. So when, when things are at their worst is when humor is really necessary, when everyone's falling around you. Um, and I think that that's why it's important now. Also, I'm learning about humor and comedy all the time. Right after the election, I was in Portland, Oregon, backstage with two other comedians, and all of us were chewing our hands. Like, I hadn't done a set, like a stand-up set, since uh, Orange 45. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if comedy works right now. I don't know if anyone has the nerve to laugh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or are we all just completely washed out of this? And then we all got on and told our regular jokes, and it killed. And then I thought, oh, that's the magic, right? The magic is that people really do want the distraction of thinking about funny things instead of, you know, as some person, I can't remember who wrote, uh, you know, there's a minute every morning when you wake up, and it takes you about 45 seconds to remember that we're living in this world. Right. And that's when, you know, you have to deal with that. Uh, So I think that comedy is a fantastic way to... Um, escape, and also to involve yourself. Uh, there's lots of great comics right now talking about all the current events, and I think many of them are doing a really groovy job of providing some perspective and some relief. Uh, and that's where I'm coming from. Lots of weeks I'll talk about politics the whole time. A couple weeks ago in London, I just did impressions, told yeah. stories, sang songs, and everyone loved it because it was they were just about to invoke Article 50, the Brexit. Mm-hmm. And everyone was up to their ass in reality. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I, yeah, I came on with the intention of doing this big thing about, you know, politics and the analogy between England and America and how rednecks is da 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 And I thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to tell funny jokes. Mm-hmm. And I just did. And, and that was, this is after me telling you before that people shouldn't tell you to just not, you know, to only do distracting comedy. But there is a purpose for that. Yeah. Uh, I, I never mind comics who only do distracting comedy. 
it's audience members demanding that no one ever have an opinion different than theirs sure. that I take exception to. Sure. Um, so I do think it works like that. Now, having said all that, I'm going to tell you the funniest joke of all time, which is Peter Cook, who was uh, Dudley Moore's partner and then a genius comic on his own. And um, they asked him the same question um, in the 60s. Someone said, do you think comedy can affect social change? And he said, absolutely. Look at what all the Weimar Cabaret did in stopping Hitler. <laughs> he also had the other brilliant joke someone came up to him at a party and said I'm writing a book and he went really neither am I <laughs> I love it <laughs> oh I like those those are good yeah. so I do think it's important it's important to comedians certainly yeah um, a lot of people don't ever bother with comedy or like I, like we've discussed it's just a big genre to them sure but there is in my opinion an enormous difference between say Samantha B and Bill Maher uh-huh. you know a lot of people go oh well they're all political comedians it's like mm, 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 mm. yeah look at those points of view yeah look at their points of view there's a huge difference or Wanda Sykes or John Oliver, you know what I mean? Yep. We're not all on, we're not all parroting each other here. We right. all have points of view, and any more than you would go, oh well, uh, Taylor Swift and Beyonce are exactly the same. They're both in music. Right. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Swift appears to have no point of view. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've I've noticed at least for myself that comedy and and watching stand up. Um, has has become more important to me. Yeah, I, I I remember it was it was election night and I was like everybody watching the returns with a, this sense of dread dawning on me. And when it finally realized, like I I kind of knew the direction that we were heading, I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, this is it, I'm done. I switched over to Netflix and I watched an uh, Aziz Ansari stand up. You know, I was like, I just need to laugh. Mm-hmm. I need I need to escape this world. I need to escape this reality that I'm watching unfold before me. And from that night on, like, I've just, I've, I've kind of made it a ritual. Like, I end the day and I was like, I need to laugh. And I don't care. Sometimes it's political comedy, like you were saying. Sometimes it's, you know, impressions. Sometimes it's just, it's just stand up telling funny fart jokes, you know? But I mean, it's like, I, I need that to sort of decompress and, and, and be able to continue to fight another day, almost. I totally agree. Uh, yeah. Jennifer and I went to uh, the TCM Film Festival and we watched What's Up Doc last night, uh. Uh, which is a 70s movie with uh, Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, yeah. and it's complete escapist. Uh, and Peter Bogdanovich, the director, was there, and he said when he pitched it, he wanted to make a movie with no social content yeah. that was funny. Yeah. And it is. It's it's screwball, it's madcap, and we were... I was... No redeeming qualities. <laughs> I was literally, at one point... Howling with laughter yeah. and pounding my chair, yeah. and the whole audience was. And there's a car chase in it, and it's boy meets girl, and that was it. And it's like, I felt so good after. Yeah, because I've been having, I have nightmares with him in them, and it's disgusting. Yeah. to wake up and have dreamed about him. What yeah. am I, eleven? Yeah, you can't get him. It's like you feel dirty almost, right? Right. <laughs> it's revolting. It's just revolting. So, I think there has to be that safety valve. You know, we'll take days and we'll just watch. You know, like my wife's been on a Leon Russell uh, kick since he passed, and we've just been watching Leon Russell videos, and you know, just anything to mm-hmm. get out of the world for a minute yeah, and sure. think about something fun. Even before you know November, though, did w- was comedy therapeutic for you? 
It always has been. I mean, I'm um, the kind of person who I work a lot. Um, I don't sit at home very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week's my one week off before I've just been on the road for like a month. And then I'm going on the road for I'm going to London for a week with Jennifer. And then I'm going on the road with the Who's Line guys for 23 days. And so I'm not going to be home. And I'm doing two shows this week. Uh, I'm doing one tonight at Bar Lubitsch, and then I'm doing, we're showing uh, Do the Right Thing. Oh, wow. Jennifer and I have a film club that we uh, do every month. So we're showing Do the Right Thing, which is extremely pertinent, yeah. which will be very diverting, but also everyone will not be able to not think about today sure. because sure. Do, do the Right Thing asks all those questions. And in any case, um, I remember in the old days, or you know, years ago, I wouldn't do a set for a while and I'd get grumpy and Jennifer would say to me why don't you go do a set mm-hmm. <laughs> get out of the house and go do some comedy <laughs> and it, it calms us down I think as comedians I can't speak for every comedian um, you know sometimes you don't even want to do it you're not in the mood and then you get there and it's a salve it's a bomb yeah. the, the mesmerizing quality of hearing your own voice um, what is it? What does Al Pacino say in The Devil's Advocate? Watching that jury bend your will. <laughs> I mean, we're all advocates for our own point of view uh, as comedians, and that's the part I really enjoy. I don't want everyone to agree with me. I don't even care if they do, but I, I really want them to bend to my will when I'm up there. You know, like that—that's important. Yeah. Well, that's uh, your power on stage. You've right? got. Yeah. Right. Like, what did Prince say? Uh, uh, before the night is through, you will see my point of view. <laughs> Even if I have to scream and shout, because uh, I, I, you can disagree with me, that's fine. Yeah. But you're going to hear me, God damn it. Yeah. And uh, so I, it is therapeutic for me. I I never get bored of it. Um, I get bored of different elements of comedy. Uh, show business is not something I find particularly intriguing. Um, other comics I, I find very interesting, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I, I'm really, really lucky because I can do stand-up improv and podcasting. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, my my lack of attention to anything and my lack of discipline has served me by being able to jump from genre to genre all the time. When I'm on road with Who's Guy, Who's Guy, Who's Live Guys, and the dyslexic Who's Guy Lives, um, <laughs> and the Two Live Crew, which we were briefly <laughs> in the '80s, um, we uh, we just finished a weekend, and we did two weekends, and now we're going out, like I say, for 23 days. I don't really get bored with that show. Yeah. I, I find it wildly. We find each other wildly amusing, which is just you know how can that happen? It's just pure yeah. luck, and. Um, we play for devoted crowds, so I, I can't complain at all, you know? I mean, yeah. uh, if I'm too tired, that's my fault. And uh, if I'm shitty, that's my fault. It's not the audience's fault. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, you do stand up and there's a crappy crowd. And I always say to other comics, remember, it's never your fault. It's the crowd's fault. Well, you know, comics that are young, they don't ask for advice, but sometimes I give it. And yeah. um, one thing I say is, like, remember, don't do what you think they'll laugh at only do what you think is funny huh. otherwise you're a big pander monkey yeah and they won't laugh I can get up, if I got up on stage and did rap songs and talked about fat girls people would cry laughing you know what I mean you can be as racist and sexist as you like and that's always funny I mean to, to, 
You know what I mean? I mean, not, not to everybody. There's lots of hit people. But, I mean, in general, let's be honest. Yeah. Look at the level of, uh, of mainstream comedy. Mm-hmm. It's always been horrible. Yeah. yeah. It's always been horrible. It's guys talking about how they don't like different races or that the women are letting them down or women are bitches or, you know, that kind of shit. And that's on still, baby. As much as we like to think everything's changed. Yeah. The difference to me is when I started in the early 80s, there were way more hacky men comics. That was the dominant paradigm. And the best thing that's happened is there's Aziz Azari and uh, Aziz Ansari, sorry, and yeah. Kamile and, and, and uh, uh, Mindy Kaling and yeah. Amy Poehler and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the two, um, I just blanked on their fucking name, the two black girls who do the two, what's it called, two dope, Jessica Williams, you know, uh, she has a podcast with the, her partner and, okay. Uh, I can't think of the fucking name of it off the top of my head. I blanked. Anyway, uh, that's going to sound really awful. But the point is, uh, we allow other people to be uh, at the comedy table now. And um, you can argue me this eight ways from Wednesday and go, yeah, but there was Richard Pryor. Yeah. Um, Eddie Murphy. Like, yeah, yeah, there we, was one yeah. black guy. And yeah. he didn't have a TV show, if you know what I'm saying. He yeah. was a little too radical for TV with the motherfucker and the cocksucker and yeah. telling white people they need to get off. Um, now... We allow a lot more people at the table. Um, look at late night. There's three white guys named Jimmy. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, you know, that's what's what. I mean, we're talking about network television. Three white guys named Jimmy. Yeah. And then another white guy named Conan. And then another white guy uh, uh, named Seth. And then we allow Samantha B to be on a cable station. Yeah. And I think she's doing sensational work she has a large bunch of uh, a large group of women on her staff i love her take on everything not that the other guys aren't funny seth myers is dead funny and you know they're all really good yeah but honestly honestly the three people that hosted the award shows this year the grammys the emmys and the oscars were three white guys named jimmy so fuck you (laughs) fuck you if you think this world is diverse and that everybody's you know what i mean i really get tired of it if if it was there wouldn't be three white guys named jimmy I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, Rhea Butler yesterday wrote on Twitter, when you have these panels on TV and there's no women and no people of color and no queers, yeah. you're not talking about current events. Yeah, no. Because everyone's in current events, not just white guys. When I see five guys on CNN and they're all white and they're talking about women's rights or what's happening in the Middle East, yeah. you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Look, at, look at the cabinet, the meeting the other day when they did the airstrike. Yeah. It was a room full of billionaire white people yeah. and one woman of color sitting there uncomfortably. Yeah. And that is just the shocking shit. I mean, shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the part of comedy that I think on the one hand, crowds are hipper. They're more uh, politically aware. They're more PC. They're more sensitive. I love that. Um, I think people in their 20s uh, are extraordinary. They're informed. They're not prejudiced. Uh, they know what they're talking about. They don't watch television, so they don't have that garbage hanging over them. Yeah. Uh, they don't have a lot of the crappy paradigms that I had laid on me. Um, so I love playing for uh, young people, and uh, they're with it, man. They fucking listen. Yeah. It's when you get into, well, I don't think they should have women's sports cast. You know, that, yeah. that's when I yeah, just yeah. like, uh, shut up. Shut yeah. the fuck up. We've heard from you. And I always say on my show, People go, well, what can I do as a guy? And I'm like, atone. Help. <laughs> oh, shut or, up. Or listen. Yeah, stop talking and yeah. listen. Yeah. 
Occasion. I mean, I'm not going to shut up, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> Everybody but you, shut up. Speak. No, it's true, though, because I'm asked all the time, what can I do? And I say, listen, listen, everyone's trying to tell you everything. Black women during the last election were screaming from the rooftops. Black women were screaming to everyone from the rooftops, please do not let this happen. We've seen it happen a million times. This guy's uh, uh, Andrew Johnson. He's uh, Andrew Jackson. He's every president named Andrew. He's Andrew. every slave driver. He's every magnate. He's every, you know what I mean? Yeah. The racism, the misogyny, the hatred, the vitriol, the pettiness. It was all there to see. Yeah, and, the and the American one, hey, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Yeah, he doesn't really mean what he says. He'll change. And the line that just continues to just drive me up the fucking wall is is when they say, oh, he's just telling it like it is. Finally, somebody means, who's telling it like it is. That right, means I'm a like raging racist and don't want to admit to it. Yep, he's telling it like, like it is for him. And that's, that's really where it, it boils down is, is he only speaks to himself and of himself and for himself. And you cannot have a leader of a nation who is so self-absorbed. He cannot see past that mm. ever. That's that's where I I run into problems with it. And you know, Greg, you are absolutely right that every time during this election season, when uh, women would try to speak, look at the women's march. It it was, you know, even women that I knew were saying. Why are they doing that? I've never had, you know, any of these problems they're talking about. I've never had any issues at work. I've, I've never had any of these problems. And my take was that, well, good for you. The rest mm -hmm. of us have. So don't tell us to shut up. We have a voice. We're allowed to use it. If you choose not to hear it, that's on you, not on me. Samantha, everything you've said has been inconceivably perceptive. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. No, I'm saying, you know, he, ta he talks to himself. And that yes. men are used to that. Men are used to an echo chamber around them, and nothing extends further than the four inches, you know, curved to the left from their body. And uh, what you just said <laughs> is really true. Um, when he, he, we've elected a, a predator, um, and uh, you know they say it's one out of four people or whatever's dealt with that in their life, and I think the figure's more like almost two thirds of society deals with it. Because if it wasn't you personally, then it was a member of your family. Mm -hmm. And um, it's profound, and we ignored it, and this is what we get. Someone who only talks to themselves, and, uh, and, and other people are real uncomfortable, like you said, like you say, even other women. You say the guy's a predator, and I've dealt with this my whole life. He's every boss I've ever had that groped me. He's every guy, every guy that drove by from the, from the time I was 12 um, and hassled mm -hmm. me. It's every man who stared at my chest instead of looking me in the eye. It's every guy who thought that I should smile or wear something sexier for him. You know, I mean, these are the, de these are the demands men make. And women get uncomfortable about it, too. And, oh, well, you know, I, I, you know, I sailed through. And it's like, no, please let us have our say that mm -hmm. when you see a molester, that's what he is. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I agree with you. And... You know, we all do know somebody, whether it's happened to you personally or not. But I mean, mm -hmm. I think back of all of the things that I've just dismissed over the years. I can't even tell you the number of times I've been somewhere. Just my thoughts are on something 
you know, just I'm maybe picking up something at the store or whatever it is. And then the guy at the checkout counter is, why don't you smile for me? And it's unreal, the rage that passes through me when he says that. It's like, what makes you entitled to see my happiness? I don't know you. You're selling me a gallon of milk. Like, and it, it that drives me crazy. That is one of my button pushers is somebody telling me I should smile. I've never had a woman tell me, you should smile. Well, except for Dolly Parton and Steel Magnolias. <laughs> you know, it increases your face value. And you know what? She's so sweet, she can tell me that any day of the week, and I'll, I'll smile. I will yeah, listen to that. But yeah. <laughs> No, I agree with you. It, it drives me mad. I do a very long routine about it, uh, uh, that exact issue of men doing that to women all the time. Uh, I put out an album a couple years ago, and, of course, men review albums, basically. Men review comedy <laughs> albums. Very few women get to. And no, no one cared or thought about it. <laughs> it's the same old. Hey, he's just talking about his politics and shit. <laughs> it's like really really if you're a woman that isn't that way you, you feel this every day men are in a cocoon wrapped inside a tootsie pop they just nothing fucking gets through i mean that's why i'm shouting from the rooftops constantly i mean i have it i feel like the tiny platform that i have and that my wife has dragged me kicking and screaming down the road to any kind of fucking wherewithal and enlightenment about what women go through that it is my duty to carry on saying this to people. Look, I, I did a bunch of interviews for the book, and some of them were really nice, like you guys. And then I did this one on Sirius FM, and I can't remember the guy's name, which I wish I could because he was a redneck. And uh, I said, all Trump voters are racist. And he said to me, you can't say that. And I said, let me reiterate it and let me amplify. <laughs> and, uh, and then he went, well, I can't vote because I'm not American, but if I did, I'd have voted for Trump. And then I went, then you're a racist too. And these guys were furious with me. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Um, I invite you. I extended a cordial invitation for you to take a long, cold, soothing draft out of my ass. Because <laughs> you don't even know. And, by the way, um, shaved heads, tattoos on the neck, every, every microaggression that indicates you're a white supremacist douchewad. You know what I mean? And then, well, I don't, you can't say that all of us are racist. Well, then why are you dressed like a neo-Nazi? You know what I mean? <laughs> if I wore a swastika in here, you kind of get the idea. Um, and then I had a woman on the phone with me uh, from Minneapolis or wherever. She was one of the co-hosts on a morning show when I started in about this. And I was keeping it real general. Um, yelled at the top of her voice, Hillary Clinton used an unsecured email server. <sighs> and I, I started laughing. And I went, well, thank God we got to the bottom of that instead of what we got now. And it was like... They stick to their crappy talking points yeah. till the end of goddamn time. The good part is we have to remember we're in the majority. I know it doesn't <sighs> seem like it because the minority is always in power, and that's the truth. And as you said, Sam, he only listens to himself. That was the difference. Obama really did um, try to represent all of America, and he had his problems, right? Obama was uh, slightly homophobic and sexist, and he became less so as things went on. Hmm. By the end of the eight years, also the Syria thing, you know, um, last year, by the way, when he was president, we bombed Syria 1,600 times. Mm -hmm. a lot. So this isn't a new trick. This is an old trick. Um, Obama did everything he needed to do to be, you know, 
to stay in power, which is what all presidents have to do, which is why the purity test doesn't work for me. When they say, oh, Hillary's a warmonger, darling, 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 all presidents wage war. That's mm -hmm. what part of being the corporate leader of the corporate world is. Mm -hmm. So to be that naive and say that, um, a lot, the difference is some of the presidents are organized, judicious, calm, smart, intelligent, and have a legal mind that allows them to study and absorb knowledge. And we don't have that now. And that's where the danger is. He, as you say, he only listens to himself about himself. And Obama was capable of understanding different people's points of view. And the fact that he got anything done in eight years with uh, that cave salamander Mitch McConnell in office is beyond my comprehension. <laughs> Oh, yeah, cave so, salamander. Uh, <laughs> albino cave salamander, chinless, you know, jowly, giant popping eyes, no awareness of the world good. outside his cave. There, there, there's, I, I, it is impossible for me to look at a picture of him and not just get the heebie-jeebies. Oh, everyone calls him Yertle the Turtle. Oh. Yertle the Turtle is a nice person. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, I, the good news is uh, we're organized. There's a tax march this weekend. Uh, I think a lot of people have never, ever been this motivated. Uh, I know I faxed a million senators, uh, and and call. I mean, we're in California, so yeah. You know, Feinstein and Kamala Harris aren't exactly, you know, demons. And then uh, our congressperson is fantastic, Ted Lieu, and yeah. so I can call them all I like, but I actually end up calling them and writing them more to thank them yeah, exactly. for opposing the things I want. But you can, of course, call and write all of the members of Congress and the Senate and call them out on their shit. Yeah. And they don't have to listen to you, but you can do it. Um, it works. It works. Uh, don't let anyone tell you it doesn't work. And don't let anyone tell you demonstrations don't work. Oh, they absolutely um, work. The Muslim ban and everybody mobilizing, going to the airport immediately. The, um, the courts saw that and shot that shit down immediately. No, we we didn't win the Gorsuch thing, but we're going to win other things, you know. Yeah. Um, the Women's March scared the devil out of him. You notice that he hasn't gone anywhere in public that isn't the privately branded um, property that yeah. he has part of because he knows that he can't. He didn't even throw out the first pitch during the baseball season. Yeah, he declined. I mean, you're kidding, right? And then this, this weekend's Easter. Do you remember how many Easter egg hunts Obama led at the White House? Mm -hmm. So is he going to lead one? Is he going to have they are come? They are having one. They have the ugliest Easter egg design I've ever seen, but they are having one. I don't know how difficult it was to get tickets because the last eight years I tried, like the Dickens, to get tickets. I live just outside mm -hmm. of D.C. and I couldn't get you know anywhere even close to it. But um, my guess is if I really wanted to go, I probably could go this year, but I, why would I want to? Well, also, would the difference is like... You remember how uh, President Obama acted with children? Oh yeah. He he was he was obviously a loving father. His kids were awesomely sort of embarrassed by him, and <laughs> yes. uh, in that in that adorable way that you know a teenage girl's like, oh God, not this, yeah. not this boring <laughs> no, lecture. God, no, Dad. <laughs> it's so boring. Um, but this guy, do you really want him near kids? No. That's the thing. His son doesn't live with him. He never even speaks of his son. Yeah. I, I, the abnormality of what's going on, he, his wife doesn't live with him. He doesn't ever say anything about his son like I'm proud of him or anything. He never, he doesn't have a dog or a cat. I mean, this is some fucked up shit. <laughs> 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 I mean, I don't think you have to own an animal to be a human. But I mean, No, but I, I just think it, you it don't helps. Have to look over the it helps. And it's also just a little weird that his daughter is basically first lady. 
Just a little weird. Just a little weird. <sighs> and that his son-in-law is in charge of everything in the government because they refuse to appoint anyone to the government. Yeah, and he so. doesn't trust the people that he did appoint already. So he's already lost faith in <laughs> them. So yeah, these family moments like Easter egg hunts and Christmas and stuff are going to be really hard going with this guy. Yeah. Because it's not cute or funny. Yeah. He only has two emotions, you know, vindictiveness and, and well, triumph or whatever. <sighs> yeah. Whatever he can have some sort of tantrum over, whether it be a good or a bad tantrum, that's all That's all he's interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, I have to say, we've been talking for an hour, and I'm just going to be honest. Oh, my God, I better let you go. No, no, no. We've been talking an hour, and we didn't even get through half our questions. So, um, yeah, we over we overprepared on this one. But, Sam, I'm going to let you ask the last question so you go to town. <laughs> okay. So, for... This just randomly occurred to me to ask you guys this, which is some, something, you know, kind of fun to end on. So, Greg, if you had to classify yourself as a type of candy, what kind of candy would you be? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I think I'd be the kind that uh, um, is hard outside and has a creamy center. <laughs> and what I, kind of candy would Jennifer be? Because I know like she's a, there. Like a nougat or something that has a, a, a velvety center. Because <laughs> at the beginning, you're like, this is hard. I don't know if I like it. It's a little sharp for me. Oh, my God, my soft palate. And then you bite into the middle, and you're like, oh, it washed over my tongue. It actually was better, and I feel okay now about it. Because the truth is, I'm, I'm wildly sentimental, and I'm wildly idealistic. And um, that's where all the cynicism comes from, I think. Uh, I, I actually don't believe... Uh, I, I believe people can be good. I don't believe people are good in general because it, you have far too much evidence to the contrary. But I, I do believe that people um, aren't assholes. And that's why I would be that kind of candy. Prickly on the outside, but delicious in the center. I mean, you know, you went to the Women's March. I went to the Women's March. It, it, it lifted your spirits more than anything. That's what I tell the people who get depressed. Please, go to marches. Yeah. It'll make you feel good. Yeah. Science March coming up. Everybody go. Oh, yeah. I'll be there. DC, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's going to um, be really fun. And the tax march is what, Sunday? Is it? Yeah, it's whatever the weekend before tax day is. Saturday, Saturday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Greg, thank you so much. Like I said, you know, we, we could easily sit here for another hour, but I'm going to let you go. Oh, so I, I know. I, 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 got, I got stuff to do. Yeah. I really appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Jamie, what kind of cookie would you be? What kind of candy would you be? What kind of candy would I be? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me, and I don't even have an answer for it. Um, I'd probably be something gummy, like a like a gummy bear okay. or something like that. Yeah, you know, like, like sour not, gummy worms. Maybe? Yeah, you know, uh-huh. like you know, like sweet, and and you kind of like them, and and but they're mm-hmm. not really substantive, and there's not a whole lot there, and they're just really soft and mushy. <laughs> and if you eat too many of them, you get a tummy ache. <laughs> Exactly. You get too much I'd, of me, you just get sick and you don't want to see me again. You know? I think I think yeah. I would go on the on the salty side and I would be ketchup chips is what I would Ketch- be. See that's so Canadian. Canadian ketchup chips. That's so Canadian. <laughs> I do and, not like uh, ketchup at all. <laughs> oh no, it it doesn't it doesn't really taste like ketchup. It's weird. It's really weird. You have to you have to have it sometime. And Jamie, I t- and to go completely off track, I am going to send you some mozzarella stick chips. Oh, yeah. I will send them to you. <laughs> you know, you teased me with that. You teased me that Canada was this land of plenty with mozzarella stick and yep. uh, mozzarella stick flavored potato chips. And I still don't see any. 
<laughs> You'll get them. We All have right. we have so many crazy flavors. We have yeah. This is like they have nothing to do with what we're talking about. But we have dill pickle, <laughs> mozzarella stick, barbecue. Well, I mean, you might have barbecue. I don't know. We got barbecue. We have, See, we our have craziest poutine. one is Old Bay. We've got Old Bay flavored. Um, okay. And I don't even know if you know what Old Bay is. No, I don't think so. Is that like it's a spice? Old, like I a like Old Bay seasoning. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. So so I live, you know, I live just outside DC. So the Chesapeake yep. Bay is very famous for its crabs. And if you get crabs around here, they're gonna be basically smothered in old bay seasoning. And it's just okay. it's just different spices thrown together, but it's a very distinctive taste. And so in this area in Maryland, Maryland is very much known for its old bay. Um wow. and so you, you can get old bay crab flavored um potato chips. That's our claim to fame. Well, well there you go. There you go. We have lobster flavor. But Sam, you never got to answer. What candy would you be? Yes. Oh, oh, um, I would be, I don't know if you've ever had these, which you should if you haven't, but they make, um, and lots of different places make them, but um, I I find them at a little um, uh, grocery store here locally um, that's run by some folks. Gosh, I think they're they're either from like Russia or somewhere. I don't understand. They speak no English. I speak none of their language. But they have all of these um, like vodka infused chocolates. Oh my god! <laughs> and that's me. Oh, I, I I would be a booze infused chocolate if I were a candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll second that. I kind of agree with that. Like one hundred percent. Yep, that's yeah. me. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> that uh, you could probably get in a lot of trouble with those chocolates <laughs> if you're not careful. Yeah, I mean because it's not like it's cooked in there; it's infused with right. it. It actually has alcohol content to it. Now you'd have wow. to eat a lot. I mean, they come in little bite-sized things, and you know, I'll eat like one or two when I'm having them. But uh, yeah, I'd be a much larger woman if I ate enough of those to get drunk. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. Thanks so much for coming by this week. Thank you, Samantha, for guest hosting again this week. And if you want to check out our uh, Twitter and Facebook, we are at the GBB Podcast on both. You can also find us to download our show and past shows on iTunes. We're in the Google Play Store. We're on Stitcher. We're on YouTube. Everywhere. Everywhere. Just type our name and you'll find us. <laughs> and if you want to find us individually, I am Justin Connors at 140JustinC. And Samantha is at Samantha Fisher on Twitter and Samantha A. Fisher on Facebook. And I am Jamie at the Roarbots everywhere. And we'll see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.